I always yeah. remember you as a, as a bundle of energy in our in our netball because uh, you're you're not you're not the tallest of um, mountain leaders, are you? No, I would imagine. <laughs> I'm certainly not five foot two on a good day. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter, and today Jo is interviewing Michelle Smith. Jo and Michelle originally met when Michelle joined Jo's netball club. They played many a netball match together, and though Jo didn't at the time know of Michelle's adventurous endeavours, she's not surprised at all given Michelle's enthusiastic and tenacious spirit. Michelle is 38 years old and originally from Kent. She grew up in Dover and went to school there. She studied Modern Foreign Languages at University and went on to become a secondary school teacher in 2001. Michelle has been teaching ever since and is currently a deputy head teacher at St George's Church of England School in Gravesend. Michelle is an international mountain leader, a member of the British Association of Mountain Leaders and has led youth and adult groups to remote places all over the world. She enjoys experiencing new cultures as well as working at altitude. She has also been part of a number of project groups working in the developing world. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Michelle Smith, who's a deputy head and an international mountain leader who supports her husband in running adventure training and expeditions. So, hi Michelle, thanks for joining me. Hi, no problem. And um, it, this sort of came about because you've just done some, an ama- some amazing uh, piece of adventure. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's absolutely. why I asked you to come on. So f- just start by telling us that and then we'll sort of move into some of the other, other details. So what did you do uh, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I got back last Wednesday. So I, I went to Canada and I took part in the Montane Yukon Arctic Ultra 100 mile race, which is um, um, a solo event. Um, across the Alaskan wilderness pulling a pulk which is a sledge so you're you're self-sufficient along the way. Um, Temperatures range between minus 35 and minus 50 so you do have to have a certain portfolio before you can enter the race. Um, So yeah that's what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Like you do. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I, I said to to your husband Scott while I, while uh, you were away, or where, wh- as you just kicked off, that while I'd been following you along on Facebook, I actually had thought you were just helping him with his training and just joining in and doing all the stuff that he's doing. <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. like, you're doing it yourself, and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I didn't publicise it too much. I just thought, right, I'm just going to go get the training. Because I was quite nervous. Yes. Um, especially going out there not knowing anybody. 
I, uh, yeah, yeah. And there I was. Exactly. It's just such an amazing achievement. And uh, I'm just still in awe. We we met, I don't know how many years ago now, because uh, we played netball together, didn't we? And uh, I always knew that we you did, were... Yeah. You were feisty, but uh, never imagined <laughs> <laughs> where that would lead. So tell us no. why you do what you do. You're, you're a deputy head and you're an international mountain leader and you're supporting Scott in running uh, the adventure training and expeditions business. You're, you're doing these what seem to me to be mad <laughs> um, challenges. Yeah. Why do you do all of this? Why, why do you do it? Well, I started... Um, quite a while ago actually I I went on um well actually a leaflet came through to school um advertising these overseas expeditions for for children you know these four week things you can go in the summer and you need the teacher to to start that all up so I, I arranged all that and I went on one um to Tanzania Kilimanjaro um and we did some project work and and the like and some trekking and I thought I could do this. I could do this. And I already liked the the outdoors. So from that, I decided to pursue getting my mountain leader qualification in the UK. Um, So I did that. Um, And then I started leading expeditions in the summer holidays, the four week and the two week ones to far flung places. Um, And I thought, well, I'll get, I want to move to getting my winter skills up. Um, And obviously because we live in the southeast which is quite far away from scotland to get the winter skills it made more sense for me to become internationally qualified so hence why i did the international mountain leader award um so that that ticked along quite quite smoothly um until 2015 i had a shoulder injury and i found out i needed to have some surgery which i had last april um, and because of that, I couldn't climb or scramble effectively, especially not to look after um, clients and, and also young children. So I, I'd always wanted to run the Marathon de Sable. Do, do you know what the Marathon de Sable is? Only since I've watched you and Scott. <laughs> so <explain> okay. <laughs> okay. So that's that's in Morocco, uh, in the Sahara Desert, and it's approximately six marathons across seven days so I thought I'll sign up for that I'd done marathons before and I thought you know I want something challenging but it can't be a mountain and one of the only things I could do fitness wise was to run um so hence I started running and then I did that um and that was sort of hovering around 50 degrees most days so yeah it was the temperature was pretty horrific if I'm honest um, so did that, came home, had my surgery a couple of days later, um, and then what next? <laughs> because you have that anticlimax. I was off school, which is always dangerous. Um, and Scott had already done the Alaska, sorry, the um, Yukon Arctic Ultra for the two previous years, and he he said you should do that. You'll be really good at it with your winter skills. And I was like, no, no. And then my ego kicked in. Well, I can do that if he can do that. And there we are. I did that. <laughs> I saw. So I'm, I'm here. I saw your interview on um, the TV um, earlier in the week, and uh, they asked about com- competitiveness. And uh, uh, yeah. Scott said he isn't particularly competitive, but you are. And, and that does sound absolutely. quite like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just think, well, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us where he is at the moment, and are you likely to be doing it next year? <laughs> uh, well, he's he's currently in Alaska, 
Um, he landed about 10 hours ago, I think, and um, he's about to take part in a crazy challenge called the Indita Sport Impossible, which is a similar race, so pulling the polk, self-sufficient, but it's 1,100 miles um, across Alaska. Now, nobody finished it last year, hence the name Impossible. So Scott mm. is the only Brit out there looking to um, to come in. He's, he's well prepared, but it's always a bit of a worry, and that's a long, long way. I wouldn't yeah. want to drive that far, let alone walk no, no exactly one of the people no. on facebook did make me laugh when they asked if he was fully packed and whether he was taking the tire because that's one of your um ways of training isn't it uh, yeah yeah so we pop the the snow harness on around our waist and um endlessly walk between chartham and canterbury which is a six mile loop um up and down up and so there's not much of that river path that I don't know off by heart now from walking up and down, up and down. And when I was in the Arctic, I wasn't measuring it in kilometres. I was in how many charts, um, Canterbury's and backs. So, um, that was <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Always, uh, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> so how do you prioritise what you do in your work and your life? I mean, you've obviously got a lot going on. You've obviously made yeah. some big decisions over the years into what you want to do. Sounds like when you've got not a lot on, that's when... <laughs> other things pop yeah, into the, your mind but you know how, the trouble how do you, starts. <laughs> how, how do you you know prioritize what you do there sounds like there's so many things you probably could have been doing what what uh what yeah you to do that? um I've got obviously I get asked that a lot um because teaching as a lot as many other jobs are exhausting jobs um I use every possible minute I can at work as effectively as I can so I you know I don't sit and have tea breaks I work through um and again lots of people do that but also I've got a really good team and you know, I've worked with them for nearly seven years now and they're very supportive but we all it's almost empowering people to be able to do what they do and, and I trust them implicitly that they can get on with their jobs I don't feel like I need to, to micromanage or, or what have you because I, I line manage quite a lot of people um and they they're really good they're really good and they, mm. they support me no end and I actually am at the stage now where I couldn't do my job without them mm. um so but I'm very strict insofar as I work very long hours but work is work and home is home um and a number of things have had to change but really I mean I think if you don't you can start suffering from anxiety and mental health type things because you can never get away from work and the pressure and the stress yeah um an, ex an exercise for me has always been the way to wind down um and clear my head and so like people say going to the arctic is horrific but actually i had three solid days of fantastic headspace where i could think about and do exactly what i wanted there's no social media there's no there's no phone signal there was no pressure apart from self-induced pressure um and that's the kind of thing that i really enjoy just shutting off and getting away um you know other people lay around a pool I, I lost about a day on that kind of holiday but not that I don't enjoy it I just start coming up with other strange plans if I just feel <laughs> too long so yeah I, I really I really love to hear that I think um that's such a, a different perspective on as you say what most people would see as being sort of a form of madness and um and something that mm. nobody could ever imagine doing and and I, I guess when you are trying to imagine doing it you you would be imagining I guess 
you know the downside of it I, I can just imagine it being just really cold and me just moaning the whole way to myself about how awful it yeah. is you've just put a completely different yeah. spin on it I can imagine that that um that silence if you like in your head of the fact you know of nothing else to do other than just one foot in front of the other sort of thing yeah and and look after yourself you're wholly self-focused so you know my whole aim was making sure I didn't get frostbite making sure I was warm enough making sure I rest I eat I hydrate properly and because if you don't you're really and it sounds quite extreme but your life is at risk yeah. Um, so you have to look after yourself. So that becomes your whole priority is yourself. Um, yeah. And that kind of level of discipline to constantly be checking yourself. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't think of anything else. So it is it is quite nice. It's a really extreme form of mindfulness. But as you say, you know, it, it is yeah. it's potentially life threatening. And we were just talking before we came on about one of the guys that was in the race that you were in, who's potentially losing his hands and feet through frostbite he obviously yeah. had you know a lot of issues and so you know it was that sort of knife edge but um you know that as you say that mm. mindfulness it just it, typical you extreme mindfulness <laughs> yeah that's right yeah other people might meditate <laughs> yeah you see now sport and running and like obviously I used to play netball before my shoulder injury that that always used to just take the edge off the kind of stresses but for me I need to do something quite big or endurance wise to reduce that stress completely mm. whereas like your hour in the gym or your netball will just take it down a bit yeah but yeah. the big kind of challenges really just empties the stress tank so to speak mm. Mm. so you talk about um how you get stuff done and how you get stuff done in your job and it being very much about the team that you work with what about personally in terms of you know, knowing what you need to do and, and getting it done. What what sort of um, ways do you use to manage that? Do you use a to-do list? Do you use tools? How does that work? Um, good old-fashioned diary, um, which I used to be really useless at keeping, um, and I'd keep everything on my phone, and it didn't work for me. So probably the last four or five years, I've been meticulous. In, I use my teacher planner as my diary and everything in there is highlighted when and what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then I just have a rolling to-do list on my desk at work. Um, so it, obviously it rolls over and um, I, I just work by that religiously. Mm-hmm. And obviously, obviously things pop up and you can't always, you know, the to-do list, we all know, a to-do list is never-ending. Yeah. Um, but keep keeping it rolling keeps me going, if you like. It's interesting, before we came on, we were talking about, you know, I think you were sort of a bit like, oh, I only use paper. And I was saying, I think most of the guests on the podcast to now yeah. use paper. It's, it seems to be having a bit of a, you know, a renaissance. Um, I personally use apps for everything. Um, but as I say, mm. you know, so many people now are using paper and, and diaries and, and, you know, physical products yeah. to help them. See, Scott is very much online. He'll he'll use apps. He'll use his um, MacBook, but, and that suits him fine. I just I, I really struggle to keep on top of it. And also, I've always got my diary in my bag, always, so yeah. I know what I'm doing and when. Um, yeah. But I even keep to do lists at home. I mean, Scott will say differently. I'm quite disorganised at home. I like to say I'm just relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> so <in> the <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah, he's, he, he, yeah, but 
bless him. He's quite military in his organisation, and obviously he works from home. So yeah, um, yeah. I come home and I'm like an explosion walking through the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. So just to go back a bit again to talk about your your team and and how you get stuff done through them. Mm-hmm. Have you got any tips for delegating to people? Because that's one of the things that managers I think struggle with you you talked about you know not micromanaging and and trusting your team it's it's not an overnight thing though is it you don't suddenly you know walk into a new no. room with people and all of a sudden it's all you know wonderful and and everything runs smoothly how have you got to where you got to um it it took time and uh, i can't remember the saying but scott scott taught it to me is the forming storming norming performing That's it. and i really <laughs> i really do feel that's what happened so you you go into a new team and you start off with a bit of not necessarily resentment but um well who are you you know you're you're this you're that and whatever first first um um perceptions of people and we all we all do it we try not to Mm. um so really learning the skills of the team and actually learning what they need to develop knowledge wise and one of the biggest things i've learned throughout my career um which was quite a hard lesson for me is that you can't change anyone you can only change the way you deal with them so the approach i take is very much dependent on the mood the person's in how they're feeling um i'm a big believer of you can't fight fire with fire um you do need to flatter people you do need to thank people but you also need to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in because if they aren't doing it properly there's a reason for that they probably don't know how to do it and if they can't ask you a bit of self-reflection does that mean you're not approachable or you know that that kind of thing I also think we're in a in a world where it's quite easy to ping over emails and, and bark instructions at people whereas actually we're all human take two minutes out of your day to go and speak to them and then you know if there are any questions they can do it there and then mm. um so yeah, so really about, I'd like to say I'm laid back, but I'm not. They all say I'm really bossy, but in a in a nice way. I don't mean to be like it. Um, but I'm definitely approachable um, by the majority. But my team always say, you know, you're approachable, but also know that um, the buck stops with me. So I ultimately, and I'm accountable for what they do. Um, and kind of letting them know that I've got their backs, even when perhaps on the face of things I haven't, not that I haven't, but I don't agree with them. I'll support them to make their, get them to make their mistakes right. So, you know, perhaps they don't look foolish or you might have a, a particularly aggressive or nasty parent in, and I might not agree with the way they've dealt with something, but I'll always have their back and deal with it professionally. And I think that helps as well, because it's, it's, it's a world where you can, very quickly feel lonely around a lot of people mm. um and also open door I let people offload I do let them offload and I try to be that listening person even though I really haven't got time that listening person and then perhaps offer them support in finding their own solution and and being less of a fixer but yeah. trying to empower people to fix it themselves and mm. You know, I'm sure people go home and have a real good moan about me sometimes, but I do think, you know, the team I work with are mostly effective. Yeah. 
Now, here's a question I don't ask most of my guests. How has the training that you've had as an international mountain leader impacted and changed how you behave at work or indeed the other way around? You know, what have you taken from your teaching career into being a, a, an international mountain leader? You see, I've never interviewed an international mountain leader before. That's why I've never ah. asked this question. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a tricky one. I think patience, because I quite often take um, some quite successful people and, some, and you know, you're relatively quite fit into the mountains and, and take them really very much out of their comfort zone. Um, and that's quite humbling in some respects because you, you understand it in yourself like throughout my career, and we've all heard of the imposter syndrome, I've always thought, well, when will they get a grown-up to do my job? Because, you <laughs> yeah. know, it should be me. But actually learning to understand how other people feel and, and you know, I'm not out my comfort zone up mountains that, that people are, but there are things in my work where I am I'm completely out of my comfort zone, but I'm on my own to get it done. And it's having that kind of empathy and sympathy. I think that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, but patience tolerance um i'm very impulsive so it's made that calm down a little bit um because not everything is a quick fix um so mountaineering has given me that for my actual work life um but also it helps me be be calm and have that be able to go not a meditative state i don't mean it like that but have that kind of calm because i've had the process time um I've kind of got the understanding from time, you know, headspace really, that a lot of things that people throw at you is actually not your issue you've got to deal with. It's it's actually their issue that they're offloading yeah. um, and supporting people through it. So, yeah, I think calm, patience, less impulsive. Um, I'm still impulsive, don't get me wrong, but I think about things a bit more now. <laughs> Um, so, I always yeah. remember you as a, as a bundle of energy in our in our netball because uh, you're you're not you're not the tallest of um, mountain leaders, are you? No, I imagine. <laughs> I'm certainly not five foot two on a good day. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So yeah. let's move into into an area that that you've probably spoken about before. How do you keep healthy? How do you make sure you're fit enough to do all this stuff that you do? Even and, and even just to be able to you know do this full-time more than full-time job as well as all the the sort of sporting um stuff that you do as well yeah I mean I have blips like everyone else does and I like my food I like my wine I'm you know I'm, I'm really normal like that but um meal prep and planning on a Sunday um so if I find that I'm not in on a Sunday I can I, I know that Monday or Tuesday will be an issue for me with food wise I need to be quite regimented with meal planning. So Sundays will be perhaps spent preparing um, meals, making lists um, and just sticking to it with the food and being quite rigid. Um, and we help each other because it, it's really easy to get in and say, well, do you fancy a Chinese? Well, yeah, of course I do. But hoping that one of you will have that kind of resolve to say, no, we've got this. Um, but we do eat, we do eat quite healthy. Um, we do eat quite balanced, but we still have the treats every now and again at the weekend. Yeah. Um, and can I just say, with the you, training, when you do the, the yeah. planning and the the prepping, what you know, what physically does does that involve? Are you literally chopping stuff and leaving it in the fridge ready to cook and that sort of thing? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we might. So um, 
so on a Sunday when I when one of us prepares dinner we'll we'll prepare the Monday's dinner perhaps in the slow cooker or perhaps chop everything put it in a Tupperware in the fridge Mm -hmm. um we make a bit extra of stuff and freeze it so we can take it to work for our lunches and it's all it's like it's almost like a constant um conveyor belt of make a bit extra freeze it make a bit extra freeze it so we buy off um buy off the internet the like um takeaway tubs yes and um yeah and and freeze up freeze up meals for example um so like I've got one going at the moment in the in the slow cooker that that will be for lunches and you know I could I'll the the freezer drawer fills up with a variety of different foods so it's you know it's quite varied which is good Mm. um and also trying to plan things that are healthy that don't take too long to cook yeah um to kind of having those perhaps 10 different things that don't take more than 20 30 minutes to to cook in an evening Mm. works Mm. well too yeah yeah cool yeah sort of know that the sort of detail of that because meal planning and prep always sounds you know like it's a good idea but I can never work out what that really means and how to do it (laughs) yeah um I mean my sister and her partner they're brilliant at it they they make all their lunches on a Sunday um and Tupperware them up in the fridge and there are three of them living together yeah um and they're really good at it they you know and that's kind of the idea we take but we we kind of vary it a bit so we'll make a bit extra and so like in our freezer there's probably about five different types of meals in there now that we can just dip in and put in a cool little lunch bag and take to work and it's just ready to microwave so it does it works just Mm -hmm. yeah cooking a bit extra that kind of thing and then do you have to like come I don't know what the word is gear up that's not the word there's probably a, a food word but gear up for the for the expeditions do you have to like eat extra and things like that or is is that just a myth <laughs> um Scott does but I don't I because he he's tr- he's tried to put on an extra three kilos but then he's got quite a significant race um yeah. I quite enjoy that I lose weight when I go on them so I don't eat <laughs> <laughs> But no, just try and eat sensibly. Don't drink alcohol in the lead up to it, because um, obviously you want to be as hydrated as possible. Yeah. Um, but I just try to eat sensibly and, yeah, pretty normal. Yeah. So one of the things that's been talked about a lot at the moment as being very important, in fact, I listened to a podcast on it just this afternoon, is sleep. And it strikes me mm. if you can sleep in the middle of nowhere in minus 50 you must be mm. good at switching off to sleep, which a lot of people have trouble with, or is it just that you're so tired? It yeah. Just anyway. I can, I've never used to be able to, but I can sleep anywhere. I am, I am a sleep monster. <laughs> um, I won't, I don't go to bed late in the week, so I'm always in bed by half past 10. Um, I did make some changes. So I've always had my emails on my phone from work. Um, and I don't do that anymore anymore and that was quite a big step for me because as much as I was at home and not at work um I've, I'm one of these people who can't have the red dots on the phone I need to check it need to read it and again yeah. impulsive I'd want to respond and so I've taken the decision to take them off and I've had them off my phone since about November and I've had a huge um improvement in my sleep and relaxation at home um, because I just had to realize quite quickly that you don't have to solve things at 8 p.m. at night they can wait 
Yeah. Um, and if I choose to work at home in the evenings, which I do, obviously, um, it will be on my laptop. And when it's shut, it's shut, it's put away and mm. it's ready to go in the morning. I also bought a simple thing, just bought a plug-in alarm clock. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have the phone next to the bed and I wasn't, you know, trawling through Facebook and Instagram and all those kinds of things, um, looking stuff up online when actually, you know, bed is, bed is for bed. So that both of those things have really helped yeah. with, really helped with sleep. Um, and I've probably, yeah, like I said, I've done that since about November. Um, and lit, tiny change. It was hard because you just become so reliant on your phone. But, um, yeah, I had to do something because it's it was really intrusive. Yes, yeah, yeah. And what about relaxing other than mad uh, mountain pursuits? <laughs> or, or is it yeah. the sport that, that, that is the main relaxation? Um, well, I've done... I did, um, I've been doing CrossFit. Now I had to be careful because my shoulder, because obviously there's quite a lot of uh, weights involved, but they've been brilliant in supporting me with like a, a different type of program. Um, those, those CrossFit greats, they're, they're based in, in Ashford. Um, but because of living so far away from work, I don't get there that often. So I just incorporate that as part of what I do. Um, so I'll go for a run. Um, I'll do like a hit workout or a Tabata workout in the living room um, and then at the weekends leading up to to the races I spend most of my day Saturday training whether it be pulling a tyre or extended long runs yeah so so yeah that's that's kind of what I do I used to play a lot of netball um, mm. and hockey but again have to be careful because of my shoulders so yeah yeah mm. My husband always says he thinks netball's the most dangerous sport ever. He didn't ever realise that till he met oh, me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. That tarmac. It doesn't as forgiving as yeah. <laughs> Not at all. So what about learning and improving yourself? Do you, do you have any time for that? <laughs> do, you, do you look at, uh, you know, particular books or do you listen to things? Or I mean, I guess when you're doing your training for for your, you know, mountain leading and so on, you, you have to learn particular uh, things. But is that something that yeah. you that you do um, continually yeah I mean I'm I'm, I'm one for, I'm always one for CPD so um, I'll always look out for the courses and the online literature that that kind of thing to, related to my job but also around the outdoors um, I, I like to keep my hand in, in in what's going on what changes there are um, and I'll often you know I'll often meet up with people and you know just just do some rope work or um and that's more keeping my hand in but with regard to improving myself um ultras are new to me so that kind of level of endurance race although mountains are endurance was a whole new ball game for me so I've spent quite a long time changing the way I train to be able to do that and I've you know I did I do feel that I've come home and really achieved something um after the Yukon well um, let's just let the listeners know you you were the, the fourth over the line and the first woman weren't you yeah and the only British person to finish and yeah. how many people set, so, started um there were 47 starters across um the three the three races so there's a marathon 100 mile and a 300 mile race this year mm -hmm. yeah wow 
So I'm quite chuffed with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lovely. So just um a question about um routines and habits and, and, and so on. I mean you obviously you sound like you pack a lot in. Do you have particular sort of routines that, that you follow to make sure things happen? It sounds quite regimented, which may be more a Scott thing. <laughs> but uh... Yeah. Well, we're very different. I mean, I'm terrible at getting up in the morning, but I have to leave home at 7am or I won't get to work on time because of the traffic. Um, so my my morning routine is a bit chaotic, um, if I'm honest, but that's kind of my my chance to, to be a bit chaotic. I think I'm just fighting the, the regime, really, because I won't get out of bed. I think I'm still a teenager. <laughs> um, <laughs> but But when Scott's away... I get up, I'm much more regimented, I'll take the dogs out, you know, I'll get everything ready for work and I'll go. So my kind of routine is more in the evening. So I'll get in, um, I will, I'll do exercise as soon as I get in, otherwise I won't do it. Um, if I sit down and have a cup of tea, I can write it off. So I get, get home, get changed and go. Um, and obviously the dogs quite like coming out with me. So that's two birds with one stone. Yeah. Um, and then routine-wise, after work in the evening, I make sure I've obviously sort dinner out. I'll prep food for the next day, um, and just make sure everything's ready to go. Because I know my weakness is the morning. So my bags packed, my lunch is in there, my drinks are in there. I check my diary. I know where I've got to be, etc. And, yeah. and it's all good to go. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So. What about if things don't go right? What about if you have a bad day, if something goes wrong? How do you deal with that? Um, usually some kind of tantrum. One of your um days dragging the, the tire. Didn't you say you had a tantrum the whole way? <laughs> oh yeah, the whole time. It was just awful. <laughs> um the trouble is when I've decided that I can't do something, I I really do get the ump <laughs> just that's it so I've got better now at recognizing that do you know what today I'm just going to write it off I've had a bad day and okay. I need to go to bed I need to sleep I need to get up and start again um that doesn't happen that often because I obviously use the the exercise as a way just to just to take the edge off it which it does um and also if the emails are off I can't be reminded of things until the morning, so that yeah. that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think yeah, I I tend to do that. Let's just start again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I do like to take quiet time when I get in. And and poor Scott, you know, obviously most people talk to each other. I, I can't talk for a good ten minutes. I just need that little bit of process time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But he's pretty good. He's. Stays out of the way. <laughs> so, what about a day where you end the day knowing that you've had the chance to live more? And I describe living more as having done the things that you really want to do, not necessarily the things you have to do or you should do. What have you done? What does that day look like? Um, varies really. Usually, it's usually making a difference with with one of the the kids at work. Um, usually, one of the more vulnerable or disadvantaged kids, which is always nice to be able to have a bit of a breakthrough. Um, leaving work on time is always nice and getting in and having a really good, successful 
exercise session, eating healthy. I go to bed feeling like, yeah, I've cracked it. I've got it right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all down to organisation and keeping your head in the game, really. Yeah. For me, anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Well, we're at the end of the interview. Really enjoyed it and uh, lovely to sort of catch up having uh, followed along on Facebook as you, as you were doing the race uh, last <laughs> week or <laughs> finishing the race last week. So how yeah. can people find out more about you and I guess probably about the Adventure Training Expeditions Company um, and, and what Scott's up to? Um, how, can I, how can they connect with you? Um, Facebook is best. So we've got I've just started up our own page called Scott and Michelle Smith and that's following our adventures um, and our racing and that kind of thing. Don't post too often. We're not relentless. Um, and then Facebook as well, Adventure Training and Expeditions. We're a Kent-based company. You can go on there and have a like and see what we do. Lovely. Thank you. No problem at all. All this information is available on the show notes on the website. If you use the link powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 55, you'll be able to find those notes. And the website, which is engagementandwellbeing.com, is the place to go if you want to find out how I can help you to improve your productivity, organisation, wellbeing, energy and resilience, your power to live more. And that's do more of what you want to do. I really enjoyed interviewing Michelle for this show. I just can't believe what she achieved in terms of that sort of physical challenge that she set herself. Uh, it's just um, great to hear and, and great to know that I actually know her. <laughs> um, so um, I hope you enjoyed it. There are a number of ways that I can help you to reduce the overwhelm in your life and to get more organised and become more productive and focused on achieving the things that you want to achieve. And it's all actually quite individual. So probably the easiest thing to do is to go to the website engagementandwellbeing.com forward slash power chat and fill in a few details on there and book in a time to have a conversation with me and um, we can talk more about uh, what you are faced with at the moment what your challenges are and I'll be able to give you some sort of tips and strategies in the moment but also we can talk about if there's more that I can do to help you uh, moving forward so if you go to engagementandwellbeing.com forward slash power chat you can book in for a complimentary call with me so uh, it doesn't cost you anything to have that initial chat where we can talk about how I might be able to help you but also as I say at the time uh, give you some uh, tips and strategies to help you to reduce some of that overwhelm immediately. So looking forward to speaking to you. Go to engagementandwellbeing.com forward slash power chat and we can get that sorted. And if you'd like to find out more about Michelle or look back on some of the notes from my interview with her, again, if you go to the link powertolivemore.com forward slash 55, then you can find the show notes from today's podcast. So we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more.